on this edition of the program, we look deep into misinformation on the battlefield. As decisions are being made in D.C., what can we trust and what is the state of play in Gaza, Ukraine, and a few other pretty terrifying places abroad? It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, December 15th. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in Austin, Texas. And this is going to be a conversation with somebody that was brought to you by you. One of you out there that listened to me, listened to one of your other favorite content creators, Suggested that I talk to him. And guess what? This bud's for you. The man's name is Ryan Macbeth. He is a content creator and writer. He is a military veteran and somebody that does open source intelligence gathering. Meaning he is deciphering everything that's publicly available and writing about it and posting on the internet about it for you. This is a great conversation. And one that goes into places that I got to say, by the end of it, left me (laughs) not particularly uh, uh, excited. But you got to learn, especially when it is dangerous and decisions are being made in D.C. based on some of this information. Enough of me jabbering. Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I got an email this weekend from a listener. Uh, saying that as a veteran, he very much appreciated the fact that on this show, I make very clear that I don't know a lot about war (laughs) and I don't pretend to know a lot about war and uh, recommended you and your, your, your YouTube channel as somebody to talk to. I sent you an email. You got back to me immediately and I am thrilled to have you on the show. And specifically what I want to talk about is misinformation in war. Uh, uh, We obviously have two hot wars that are happening right now that have a lot of information that very much are dominating our political uh, process right now. But before we, you know, we're not going to get into any of the political side of it. I just want to get smarter about something that I don't know anything about. And so having an open source intelligence analyst like you is something that I'm very excited. But for folks who are not familiar with your content, talk a little bit about what you do on the channel. Absolutely. Uh, so basically, uh, th- there's a number of things that I do. It's the number one is I talk about how the military actually works. Uh, a lot of people get their understanding of the military by watching movies or by watching Call of Duty. Uh, the second thing I do is I analyze open source intelligence. And open source intelligence is essentially uh, looking at intelligence sources that are publicly available. It could be satellite mm-hmm. footage. It could be contracts for new boots for the Russian army. Like you want to determine the size of the Russian army, you could ask Russia, right? Yeah. That's number one. That's one way you could do it. The second thing is that you could pay spies to tell us how big is the Russian army. And the third thing you could do is you could look at, let's say, contracts that are put out for boots. And if you know that every Russian soldier gets two pairs of boots, when they go to basic training and all right, there was a contract put out for 200,000 boots. So that means, all right, well, that means there's going to be a hundred thousand conscripts this year. So that's, that's open source intelligence. And the third thing I do is I look at, uh, disinformation, uh, specifically my specialty is what I call dip, uh, deceptive imagery persuasion. That's where you take a picture that, uh, looks real and you modify it or show it out of context or add text to imply Mm -hmm. something totally different than the picture is actually showing. And uh, I do a lot of work with a company called Cyabra, 
which is a company that finds uh, inauthentic actors on various social media platforms. So that's kind of what I do. Well, uh, uh, I'm thrilled because I got a million questions about this kind of stuff. And it's uh, uh, it's one of those things. All right. So let, let, me, let me just give you my perspective as a, a journalist who covers yeah. this stuff and uh, uh, tries to be entertaining and educational on, on this program. My commandments when it comes to this stuff is, yeah. number one, don't trust either side in a war. There is no reason why any of them should be, they're not incentivized to tell you the truth. They are incentivized to win the war. And that from top to bottom for the people that are risking their lives is what you would want your army or or your, your leadership to be doing is to not necessarily be truthfully edifying the public, but getting to achieve the goals that these people are sacrificing for. Uh, And also don't pretend that I have any kind of clear idea on strategy or movements uh, uh, that is something that I, I would rely on other people for. So, so far, is that just a good way to start for somebody that has no military background? It, it can be. I mean, it's it, I've seen people say, well, we can't trust Israel because Israel always lies. But OK, Israel yeah. is a democracy. And you, one thing that you can do in a democracy is you can vote people out. So that's yeah. that's like one check on Israel performing any kind of extreme lies. Now, people are going to lie uh, about the composition, disposition, status of forces. I'm not going to say like, uh, yes, this is where our forces are and this is yeah. why their morale is so low. You, you can't do that. But for the most part, democracies tend to tell the truth about certain situations, whereas terrorist organizations have no incentive at all to tell the truth. And in fact, are more incentivized to lie about current conditions in order to achieve their objectives. Well, if we're going to get to that situation specifically, I would agree that, you know, there is a free press in Israel. Yes. uh, uh, Biased in various ways, certain outlets are. But in general, there are people like there are outlets that are specific to parties, many of which are in opposition to the current government with with Netanyahu that have no incentive to protect Netanyahu and and have not have have uh, covered pretty specifically his run up to the idea that he might be in jail uh, by the time that that he eventually leaves government because of corruption charges. So that is an element of a restrictor plate, I would guess that that uh, you can only lie so much. But then if it comes out, you're embarrassed, your career's damaged, the, the the careers of anybody that also lied to you is damaged. So I guess that 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 would be some element of a of a restrictor plate in terms of big issues. Right. I, I would I would tend to agree with that. I mean, Israel does okay. have a free press. That is not the case in the Palestinian territories. No. <laughs> No. Uh, so then then let's 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 focus on on that war zone right now, because in my and this is more on the political side, yeah. wars in that region, either the West Bank or Gaza, have been fought in Western news outlets my entire life. The the way that these conflicts and from my amateur uh, point of view normally goes is that normally there's an inciting incident, uh, be it. A, a a more domestic thing that happens in a holy site or a suicide attack or something like that. Israel then takes a retaliate a, a retaliation, and usually that retaliation lasts about as long as the West doesn't say you should stop retaliating right now. Uh, what would in, in your opinion is that usually at least the scope of of how these things have have played out in the Middle East? I think you're, that's roughly correct. Uh, it, okay. it, this this particular conflict is a little bit different because it was yes. so horrific yes. that Israel doesn't really care what other nations think. And that, that's actually an extremely dangerous position to be in. Uh, Israel essentially lost their information war on, um, I believe it was uh, October 17th. That was the day the uh, Arab hospital was yeah. uh, the New York Times said, look, the Arab, you know, this hospital was blown up by Israel. Hundreds, hundreds dead. Yeah. 
Yeah. 500 people dead. And of course, they didn't they didn't check their sources. They just kind of they just kind of rolled with it. Right. And anybody in the intelligence community could look at that and go, hey, this smells funny. Let's actually kind of peel away the onion here. And I did a video. No, no. What, 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 what initially stood out to you with that? For you, if, if you mentioned just looking at, at those, that mm-hmm. set of facts as it comes out, what, what, mm-hmm. what, what, is a ra- what is the red flag that you saw? So uh, in the intelligence community, and I, I worked in intelligence doing what's called C4ISR, Command Control Communications, Computers, Intelligence, Surveillance, Reconnaissance. Basically, we found bad guys and we gave that information to our client who would then either continue surveillance or use more kinetic means to take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically we use something called ICD-203, which is a standard in the intelligence community. It's a, like an ISO standard of how you're supposed to look at probability. So you take a look at the four possible options, let's say in that hospital strike, and you yeah. go, all right, option one, what is the likelihood that Israel intentionally bombed a hospital? And what, what do they get? What tactical benefit do they get out of that? Now, is it out of the question that Israel would bomb a hospital if Daddy El Baddy was there? Well, yeah. we got to get Daddy El Baddy. This is our only chance to get Daddy El Baddy. So we're going to hit this hospital. Yeah. If they did that, they would probably do that with a lower yield weapon that wouldn't have produced 500 casualties. So that, that kind of smells funny. So I would take that particular piece of the puzzle and I would go, all right, well, this is unlikely. Gotcha. So that that's kind of number one. So number two, what are the odds that uh, an errant bomb hit that hospital, an errant bomb from an Israeli aircraft? Well, Israel tends to use uh, guided bombs, specifically GPS bombs or laser guided bombs. And it is not unheard of that those things can fail, especially yeah. if a bomb enters um, uh, an urban area and it suddenly loses GPS access. I'm sure you've been driving and all this, there's buildings, tall buildings on both sides of you. And now you don't have We've GPS all been access, there. <laughs> and the bomb can go errant. But that is unlikely. They don't tend to go errant all that much. So then you got to go, all right, well, those two things are unlikely. Now, what are the odds that Hamas would explode a bomb inside that hospital? All right. I mean, it's possible that they would do that to gain sympathy, but they're busy fighting Israel right now. Are you going to move munitions just for this explosion? So that's unlikely that they would do that. Yeah. But then the odds of one of their missiles, which are unguided rockets that are produced in these, uh, these I don't want to say amateur factories because they're not amateurs in any way, but very crudely produced missiles can go errant. Well, that's likely. We've seen that before. We've seen that about one third of their missiles go errant. So anybody in the intelligence community who was evaluating this would go, the most likely possibility is this thing was an errant missile. And most people, including the New York Times, do not have the tools in their toolkit to analyze things from an intelligence uh, professional standpoint. So that's kind of how I approached that particular issue. Well, and that's it's very, very uh, edifying because eventually that is what we found out. Uh, not only was the hospital not exploded, it turns out that it hit the parking lot and not the hospital itself. Therefore, the 500 people that were dead, at least initially reported by the Gaza Health Ministry, was also not correct. Uh, but we eventually found out that it was uh, one of the groups associated with Hamas that fired the missile and it did accidentally hit inside of Gaza instead of making it uh, uh, outside. So that your, your, your assessment there wound up being dead on. Uh, how complicated is it in general to parse through any of the information coming out of Gaza right now? Because I know from my perspective, as somebody who simply just wants a pulse, a heartbeat of information that isn't thrown through the echo chamber uh, to be kind of fought in the social media timelines of of Americans. Yeah. Uh, it, I found it very, very hard. It's very, very difficult to find any sort of just straight down the middle, uh, a blow by blow of what's happening. Well, it's extremely hard right now uh, for a number of reasons. The first reason is that Israeli soldiers are pretty darn disciplined and they don't have their cell phones with them. 
Uh, yeah. If you're seeing footage, some soldiers have GoPros. I don't know whether that's authorized or not. They may allow some soldiers to carry GoPros with them. But very little on the Israeli side is getting out. Uh, and you compare that with uh, what's going on in Ukraine, you know, between Russians and Ukrainians, everybody has a cell phone and they're recording everything all the time. So it, it actually yeah. makes stuff like that very easy to corroborate. So that's that's kind of number one. Number two, very little is going out on the Palestinian side. And that might be because electricity or Internet is very sporadic or people just don't have uh, the uh, camera equipment to record stuff uh, yeah. going on. And the third is satellite footage. Uh, Israel made requests to civilian satellite provider companies not to provide certain uh, data inside Gaza. And that's actually been, I've, I've, I've run into some trouble there. I was trying to verify a monument that had been destroyed by Israeli forces. And um, there was essentially, uh, I believe, 16 days in between pictures. Whereas I can request something in Ukraine or Russia and I get that satellite footage almost immediately. Wow. Um, so yeah. so they they are they have requested that there be a delay in essentially real time civilian surveillance of Gaza for their yes. own strategic purposes. Yeah, there's companies like uh oh god, Skywatch is what I personally use. Uh and every time I request a picture from Skywatch, it's that's $250 at the least. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, supposedly, uh, they'll make exceptions for large news organizations like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, where they can say, hey, we need this picture. And I guess it will go to Israeli intelligence. They'll say, yes, you can release it. No, you can't. But um, so it's very difficult to to corroborate things because I just can't get the satellite footage that I need. Unlike Ukraine, where I got if something happens in Ukraine, you get I got three or four you know, cameras on the thing. Um, and also, you know, what the, the other bad thing is that because of that, because there's, there's actually this, this internet blackout on occasion, um, Hamas has the upper hand when it comes to distributing information. And that's why, and I, I don't like the term of this because I think it's very dismissive, but some people have called it, it uh, Pollywood, where Hamas has made videos of them attacking Israeli tanks. And so far, I've seen one single catastrophic kill. Uh, yeah. What they've been doing is they've been freeze framing the video uh, when they shoot a rocket at a tank. Normally, that rocket gets intercepted by the tank's trophy system. And trophy is almost like an iron dome system, but for a tank. It uh, oh destroys God. missiles in flight. Yeah, you can destroy these missiles coming at you in flight. With, so this thing called the trophy system. So what they're doing is they're freeze framing. They're showing attacks on vehicles, freeze framing the video when the trophy system uh, hits the missile and kind of claiming it's a kill, claiming yeah. it's a catastrophic kill or claiming it's a mobility kill. And I think I have seen one vehicle that's actually brewed up, that's actually burning. And typically in anti-tank warfare, and I was an anti-tank guy for, for about 20 years, uh, you shoot until it changes shape or catches fire. <laughs> that's that's the basic rule for <laughs> so anti-tank. Right, that, that, that seems like pretty simple instructions. Keep shooting until Keep shooting. it, it uh, uh, crumples up like it fell to the bottom of the sea or is on or fire. Changes, yeah, or catches fire. So, uh, but, but a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't know about the trophy system. I mean, you didn't know about the trophy system. Right? I did not know. We, so, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening did not either. So the Palestinians are counting on the fact that nobody knows about the trophy system and nobody knows you keep shooting at a tank until it until it changes shape or catches fire. So they're just they can put out this propaganda, although what's what's interesting is that the propaganda isn't very useful. I don't know who this is targeted for. And sometimes look, look, Hamas is is an organization and like any organization, you're expected to do work. Right. Yeah. So if you're the guy who does AV or audiovisual stuff for Hamas um, and you want to get paid that week, right, you're going to come up with some videos, even though I'm not quite sure who those videos are for, because it's not like an international rallying cry to get volunteers to come to Gaza. You're not going yeah. to Gaza. Right? No. And a lot of people in the Arab world don't like the Palestinians all that much because every time they take in Palestinian refugees, they start a revolution in their country. So it's it's not like it's for outside consumption. The, the only people I can think of is that maybe it's for like wealthy donors 
who want to see where their money is going. Mm. That's about the only thing I can see what this propaganda is for, because it's not very useful for recruiting. So before we this, this will be the last question on, on Israel, Palestine, because I, I do want to switch huh. to to Ukraine. But if you are Hamas, what are your information war goals? And if you are Israel, what are your information war goals? If you're Hamas, your information war goal is to get the public in the West to be so horrified at Israel's actions that they press their politicians to stop supporting Israel. That's kind of that's that's your goal right there. In Israel's case, it's the opposite. It is to tell people their story to justify why they're currently in Gaza. Now, the, the one difference is that it doesn't matter. Now, I say that because I've said before, Israel is losing the information war. Israel lost the information war on October 17th when that when when, when they did not get the benefit of the doubt from the press on that. They lost it. It was it was was out. Yeah. Horse was out of the bar. Yeah. 10 days for them to lose the information war. Um, But Israel has enough ammunition. They have enough troops. They have enough artillery. They've asked the U.S. for things like glide bomb kits and uh, GPS uh, kits for their guided bombs and some artillery. But for the most part, they don't need help. They have the troops. Yeah. They have the weapons. They have the equipment. Uh, they have the know-how to take care of Hamas on their own. So, and actually, the next thing I would say is, what what was the last product you bought that was from Israel? They don't export oil. <laughs> Maybe all of no. them. Right. In, in, in fact, uh, honestly, I I think it is it is the service we are recording this on right now. I think I think Riverside uh, is based in in Israel, but other than Israel that, that's, is, that's, Israel is yeah. a service oriented economy. Yeah. Right? So it's not like you can really you know Western nations can sanction Israel. So in a lot of ways, Israel can kind of ignore what Western nations are saying and do what they want to get this to get this over with as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so their objective is to kind of keep Hamas at bay when it comes to world opinion, but in a lot of ways, world opinion doesn't really count. And I think Israel has realized that and they've said, all right, you know what, we're just going to do what we need to do to resolve this as soon as possible with as few Israeli casualties as possible. That's, I'm I'm really, really glad somebody smart who pays a lot of attention to this, uh, has brought to the same opinion that I have on this because it makes me feel smart that, uh, the, the the calls for ceasefire, let's say they happen. I, I don't know if based on the horror of October 7th and how unrepentant Hamas has been, the state of where Hamas and Israel was before October 7th, which yeah. was a tremendous uh, uh, part of why that was a surprise. I I don't think that anybody in power there has any incentive to stop until, at the very least, the Gaza chief of of Hamas is dead. I think that 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 seems to me to be the only way that this stops. I said the last question was the last question, but this is the last question: is 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 that a, a likely place in which Israel would say, "Okay, now we can talk about turning the page"? It, it, it has to be death of the leadership there, right? It, it has to be. If you have you, Israel literally needs to capture or kill. Every single military-aged male inside Gaza. So, a little under hmm, 700,000 people. Right. Wow. So, Hamas I, I, is I roughly, was thinking just... I, I was thinking just the leadership. You're saying everybody. Uh, every every fighting-aged human man in Gaza needs to be captured or killed for Israel to say that this is, that this is over? They could probably get... Well, well yeah. I mean, they could probably get away with the leadership, but in 20 years, it's just going to pop up again. So every single one needs to be captured. They need to grab their biometrics and um, or and, and, and kill the ones who won't surrender. That, that's really the only way this gets resolved. And ideally, the Palestinian Authority uh, from the West Bank will roll into Gaza on the back of an Israeli tank, hop off and establish security. That's probably not going to happen, unfortunately. I, I don't know the end game of that. But I do know that Israel needs to uh, capture or kill every single Hamas militant, of which there may be between 20,000 to 
40, 50,000 ish. Uh, I think initially I said five brigades. Yeah. Um, but brigade is, you know, kind of a, a weird size. And there's also 10 other organizations there uh, other than Hamas, each with their own uh, goals and objectives. And actually, the, the scary thing to me is as more and more hostages get released, the more valuable they become. So I could see other organizations like Islamic State uh, yeah. fighting Hamas to grab a hostage. That way they have a hostage and they have a bargaining chip and they have a they way They can trade out. for something. They can trade for something. So I could see infighting happen uh, fairly soon, especially as uh, more and more uh, Hamas um, militants get killed. Well, uh, it remains undefeated, Ryan. The more I learn about the Middle East, the more <laughs> grim I, I, I wind up uh, uh, leaving my, my opinion uh, of it. That, that, is, that is an absolutely brutal assessment. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Folks, as you are about to hear, we have news and it is only begetting more news. You're going to need the absolute latest. That means an episode on Monday morning. That means an episode on Thursday afternoon. It's just that simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Hunter Biden made a surprise appearance at the Capitol this week, facilitated by California Republican Eric Swalwell. Swalwell confirmed he reserved a space near the Capitol for Biden's statement as he sought to counter House GOP criticism. Republicans plan to initiate an impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden. More on that later. But obviously that focuses on his relationship with his son and Hunter's dealings in China and Ukraine. As a private citizen, Swalwell uh, experience in dealing with Republican attacks has supported Hunter Biden and emphasized Hunter's recovery from addiction. They both denied any corruption. Hunter Biden's statement or rebuttal to accusations was not expected by many Republicans. He had in, uh, insisted on testifying publicly. He was supposed to testify behind the scenes, but his legal team, including Abby Lowell and Kevin Morris, have taken a more aggressive stance, saying that he is not going to play by the rules of this impeachment inquiry. Hunter Biden's appearance, a direct challenge to the Oversight Committee, was a well-kept secret, including reportedly not known to Hunter's father, President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. If you believe the -the behind-the-scenes reports... It is not a favorite idea of the Biden White House for Hunter to take a very aggressive stance. And yet, Hunter is taking a very aggressive stance. How that will continue to play out, I don't know. But there's more to this story. It's our third, uh, uh, and, and, and you will get to that in a second. In the meanwhile, let's talk about something else that is an extracurricular activity for somebody that looks to be on the ballot for president in November. Judge Tanya Chutkin has temporarily halted all procedural deadlines in Donald Trump's 2020 election interference case, potentially delaying the March 2024 trial. The pause follows an appeal to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals regarding Trump's claim of immunity. Special Counsel Jack Smith had requested the Supreme Court to intervene to resolve whether Trump is immune from prosecution. Chutkin's order also maintains previously imposed safeguards, including a limited gag order against Trump. The case's complexity is heightened by debates over Trump's immunity for alleged crimes committed during his presidency and whether his Senate acquittal for impeachment constitutes double jeopardy. Prosecutors are seeking a swift resolution, asking both the D.C. court and potentially the Supreme Court to expedite the matter. Meanwhile, Trump's defense opposes the accelerated timeline, citing disruptions to holiday plans and concerns about the 2024 election. And if you listen to them, that's the key. The key is 2024. The key is this is election interference. This is the January 6th trial that we are talking about here. Now, will Smith get a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court? 
We will see. But as of right now, it looks like this trial is going to get on the road later than March. Donald Trump wants to make this later than November. (laughs) In fact, I'm sure if they had their druthers for all of the court cases that he is going to face, they would prefer it to begin on November 5th. And at that point, you can take as long as you want because they're assuming he's going to be president and this will have a whole different dimension to it. And finally, as promised, the GOP-led House voted on straight party lines to formally authorize the Biden impeachment inquiry that began in September. The vote was 221 to 212, although many of the Republicans are saying they are still undecided on whether or not they will actually vote to impeach. You don't launch the boat unless you're planning to get to shore. And that means that I would take a wild guess and say that Joe Biden will be the back-to-back president who will likely eventually be impeached by the House. Now, he's not the president so nice they impeached him twice. That would still be old Donnie Trump. But I, I, I you, you don't put this out into the world unless you are going to vote to impeach him. What will that do to this race? Will it hamper Biden? Will it help Biden? There's evidence to say that the impeachment inquiry uh, for for Ukraine helped Donald Trump. Well, only time will tell. And that's your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 level gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. If you'd buy me a coffee once a week for two bonus episodes, well, then this is the deal for you. And as you just heard, none of these stories are going away. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Let's move to Ukraine because that is something that is very much in the news right now. By the time that you guys hear this, this is going to air on Friday. I don't know what the state of Ukrainian funding is. It seems in all likelihood that on Friday, everybody's going to leave from Congress without funding Ukraine. So let's just look at this from a military perspective. How reliant is the Ukrainian military on American money? So they're not reliant on American money. They're reliant on American equipment. And this is something uh, that I I think I've mentioned occasionally I contribute on Newsmax. And Newsmax, um, they uh, oftentimes they say, oh, we're sending American dollars to Ukraine. And it's not like we're loading up a C-17 with pallets of money and pushing it out the door over Ukraine. Essentially, what we're doing is we're sending equipment old equipment over to Ukraine and old missiles. One thing a lot of people don't know, again, because very few people serve in the military or understand how the military works, is that things like uh, missiles will actually expire. Uh, When I was a a tow guy, an anti-tank guy, I think uh, one time they had uh, 21 missiles that were going to expire and uh, 21 missiles for four launchers. We were firing toes all day. <laughs> I never thought I'd get tired of shooting missiles. You know, by the end of it, if we were like doing skeet shooting, throwing a trash can up in the air, pull. But, they, but, but you were, but you were just shooting it because otherwise it would go bad, and it's it's because better it would go for bad. it. And if it yeah. if it goes bad, you have to send it back to Raytheon, and they have to open it up in an all nitrogen environment and and uh, demill it, like they burn it. It's just it's 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 actually less expensive to shoot a missile than it is to demilitarize it once the fuel expires. And we have fuel expiring all the time. So that's why normal units who are going to do gunnery or units who are going to do training, uh, they'll take a portion of those units that are going to expire and they'll shoot them. So you shoot the old stuff first. So the problem is that training calendars have to align. We We can't possibly shoot all the stuff we have. Yeah. So it's it's that we have to demill it. So we send it back to Raytheon and they demill it there or demilitarize it, I should say. They destroy it. So 
it's it would actually it's actually less money to send this stuff over to Ukraine. And then yeah. when we make new stuff, that's an American job, you know, being made with American manufacturing with American materials. So, like I said, it, it's not like we're we're stuffing a C seventeen full of money and just letting it go over Ukraine. Um, no. That the that it, it's really sending old equipment that isn't much use to us anymore, but could be used by the Ukrainians. So that's kind of what we're really doing. And Ukraine, and, is and that pretty- is that is, yeah, that is the point that the White House has been making lately, yeah. uh, uh, which which I viewed as as almost more of a. Uh, uh, <laughs> A very interesting way to try to sell skeptical uh, Congress folk on yeah. this support package by essentially saying this is a jobs program. Uh, uh, this is actually uh, to take it from a, a more pork standpoint that, oh, you, you're going to be able to say that you brought this amount of money back to your district because this this was made. But But you're saying that this is just an active problem that the American military has, that we have so much equipment. That we regularly have to spend the money to demilitarize it, and we might as well be sending it somewhere if it gets us anything. You're absolutely correct. Now, where so President President Biden isn't exactly Ronald Reagan when it comes to the communication side of things. Right? No, there 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 is no. something to be wanting there. I think he's he's addressed the nation like twice. Uh, over the course of his presidency. And I, I think one of the failures of the administration is that he never really communicated why Ukraine needs to be supported and how it's going to be supported and the advantages to the American people if they do support it. Now, where he is correct about pork, about the money being sent, it's that we've realized we need a lot more stuff. Yeah. For, uh, I believe, 10 years, we didn't build any Stinger missiles from, I think, 2008 until 2018. Uh, Stinger missiles are these shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missiles. Yeah. We just didn't build them. And we lost all of that expertise. And now we're looking around going, you know what? We need a heck of a lot more artillery shells than we have right now. We need a heck of a lot more missiles, uh, a heck of a lot more... Um, a heck of a lot more uh, small arms rounds, a heck of a lot more artillery systems and artillery rounds than we currently have. So by pushing money toward the problem, we're going to build more of this equipment. Of course, in a couple of years, it means we have to demill it <laughs> as well. But I got to yeah. tell you something. War is wasteful. Right? Like, <clears throat> none of this stuff builds an elementary school, right? You build no. something and then you know that, that shell expires or you fire it. What is the state? Of the war in Ukraine right now, because my by my amateur view mm-hmm. of it, it it does appear like a a that, that this is a stalemate, and uh, my instinct is to say, well, what is the benefit of America being involved in it, and is this the time that we should maybe be thinking, floating a trial balloon of yeah. how this might end, how this might uh, begin to wind up. Well, I can tell you this. There is not going to be a surrender ceremony in the battleship Missouri. You know, Russia is never, that isn't going to happen. No. Stalemate is a fairly appropriate word. Ukraine is still attempting to attack. Um, One of the big problems is that right now, Russia still has equipment that they can throw at Ukraine. But after two and a half, three years, two and a half, three years from now, if this war is still going on, they're essentially going to be out of equipment and they can't build equipment at the same rate. Whereas Mm -hmm. Ukraine can still get equipment from outside sources. Now, what benefit does America get? Well, number one, if Russia is victorious in this, they don't stop at Ukraine. Poland is next. So that's kind of number one. Yeah. The second thing is that we get to demill our equipment. We get to give that to the Ukrainians. They get to shoot it at the Russians. Everybody wins. And the third thing is we are getting an incredible amount of intelligence on how Russian equipment actually works and how it performs in combat. And China owns a number of platforms that are very similar to Russia or were built under license from Russia or were purchased directly from Russia, such as some of their fighter planes. 
So now we're getting real-world information, real-world analytics on how uh, Russian fighter planes and and how Russian or how Chinese fighter planes would perform in combat, and that that's not something we can get anyplace else. And we're going to need that information by 2027. <laughs> if Russia, if Russia decides to invade Taiwan, uh, it, it's going to happen either China, next year. China, if, if China decides uh, to sorry, invade Taiwan, China, yeah. Well, if Russia decides to invade Taiwan, no, that, that would be, that would be something. But yeah. if China decides to invade Taiwan, uh, it's going to happen either in uh, next year around election season, uh, and it'll mainly be a missile attack, or in 2027. So they they we need to get that intel on how equipment functions before we actually have to go fight. So why twenty twenty seven? Uh you know that is going to be how long it's going to take for China to beef up their navy to a certain point and to get the amphibious landing ships they need and uh, to train up their troops. So it'll be around twenty twenty seven, or it'll be next year. But that it'll just be a rocket attack mainly on on Taiwan. But that would be escalating things to a point where a, a more serious invasion would be in the offing. In Maybe opinion. it could just be a way of saying like, hey, fall under our sphere of influence or we can do this again. And how yeah. does the U.S. respond to that? You know, does well, the U.S. just throw more sanctions against China if they fire a couple of rockets at Taiwan and say, look what we can do if we choose yeah. to do so? I mean, probably not. Right. Are we going to go to war with China over that? And yeah, probably not. I can tell you we're building uh, chip fabs as fast as possible in the U.S. because the second that happens, odds are China is going to attack the chip fabs in Taiwan yeah. and destroy those because that's that's Taiwan's main export for chips. And the world runs on Taiwanese chips. Um, I mean, but China <clears throat> does, too. Right. So it would, that would that would on some level be cutting off their nose to spite their face. Right. Yeah. But, you know, just because something doesn't make any sense doesn't mean you won't do it. <laughs> You know, if you're looking for a legacy, uh, and plus, you know, you could say, oh, well, China uses Taiwanese chips. But if, you know, inside a, for the most part, Taiwanese chips are more advanced chips that you're putting into yeah. a computer. So if you're building a toaster, you know, China can fab those, right? Yeah. China can fab the toaster. China can fab the, the coffee maker. It's these um, these advanced chips that you need and these uh the processors um that you need for computers that yeah doesn't really can't really fab themselves and that's something where you know everybody i talk to on on the, on the technology side says that the time for us to start doing what we started doing a year ago was like 15 years ago so this is this it is was. not something that that we can we can just spin up overnight it shocked uh, me during the pandemic that we couldn't make uh masks Man, we can't yeah. get a mask. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, for the longest time, if you were an executive, it made absolute sense to outsource stuff to China, right? It's that, um, yeah. oh, God, what was his name? Thomas Friedman, The World is Flat. You know, that guy mm -hmm. who wrote the book and said, well, you know, every country should specialize in what they do best. In China, it's manufactured cheap stuff. In America, it's it's movies and software, right? That's what America yeah. does best. That's what you should concentrate on. And then the pandemic happens and we go, oh, my God. I can't buy, I can't, we're not manufacturing masks in America. What, when did we lose this capability? Right. So, like, yeah, not, I, not, not I, to mention it makes it complicated to get the truth out of your manufacturing partner about where the virus came from. But uh, uh, let, let me just big picture question because, Ryan, you've succeeded in scaring the living daylights out of me in, in uh, talking about exactly how unstable the world is, uh, which is, I'm sure, something that you get a lot. But what is in the water? That we, you know, you seem very confident that if Ukraine falls, it's mm -hmm. Poland next. And and Vladimir Putin has mm -hmm. this idea of reassembling the the Russian Federation, right? The, the, yeah. the, the pre-USSR kingdom that, that <clears throat> Russia uh, ran, that Hamas not only seeks to uh, attack Israel, which they do with, you know, regularity, mm -hmm but wants to say, no, this is an almost all or nothing gambit where we are going to essentially uh, 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 rattle Israel so hard that they are put in a situation, like you said, where their most likely military victory is capturing and killing tens of thousands yeah. of Hamas soldiers. And then from, from the Chinese perspective, Taiwan has long been something that has been an issue for them, but 
you're like, well, it's probably either this year or in three years. Is there a moment globally that these things are happening? Is there any common thread to them? Because they are massive steps forward in my lifetime. I think that chaos begets chaos. Uh, I think Russia was under a lot of pressure to start a war in Ukraine because essentially there, there's going to be a population bomb very soon where they're, they're just not going to have enough young people to serve in their military and perform an attack like this. So that's that. That's number one. The Hamas thing, I don't I actually do not believe that was coordinated with Russia because I believe that Russia thought like, hey, um, we uh, we're, we're going to take over Kiev in five days. War will be over in 10 days. Yeah, uh, there, there's people who say, oh, Hamas did this with the permission of Russia. Eh, it was on Putin's birthday, according to Nikki Haley at the last debate. Yeah, I don't I don't really see that as, as a as a thing. Uh, I don't believe Russia thought they'd be doing this for two years. And this I looked at the Hamas op order, the operations order where they planned this thing. And they were planning this for for two years and with help yeah. from Iran. So, um, but something yeah, that like was, that was, yeah, there was, there was a, a New York times report that came out that, that showed that there were people on the Southern border that were watching military yeah. drills and, and they had, I think it was Jericho walls was the name of the, the yeah. Hamas uh, uh, thing. And that's, that's publicly available at this point. That was published by the New York times. Yeah. And, uh, but I do think that, uh, one of the reasons you see Venezuela kind of eyeing Guiana is that, you know, right now. The U.S. aircraft carriers are in Japan. Um, there's one in, in the Med and there's one in um, the Arabian Sea. So we're actually the Sea of, um, oh God, the uh, Gulf of Aden. <laughs> there's one, I believe, in the Gulf of Aden. It's the Ike. It should be in the Gulf of Aden or maybe the uh, Arabian Gulf. But uh, so, yeah, Venezuela looking over at, at um at uh, Guiana going, you know what? We're going to take the leftmost half of your territory because there's oil there and we want the rights all the way out to sea. That, I think, is happening because you know, there is a lot of stuff going on in the world right now and the U.S. just can't be everywhere at once. Um, so there's there's certainly that. And and the, the next thing you should keep your eye on is Ethiopia uh, Another thing. Ryan, you're another killing thing. me. Please go ahead. What's the next <clears throat> so, thing? As if I need something so, else to worry about. Yes, there is. So uh, Ethiopia right now is a landlocked country. Uh, there was a civil war with uh, Eritrea and Eritrea. Well, there was, a, there was a civil war in Ethiopia and the northern half of Ethiopia split off, became Eritrea. And um, right now, Ethiopia has a burgeoning population and no place to ship their goods. So they, they ship their goods out through Djibouti, um, through a port in Djibouti. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, the time might be right for Ethiopia to launch an attack against Eritrea. There is a port in Eritrea that was built by the United Arab Emirates. It's just kind of sitting there. And if Ethiopia can take that port, and reclaim some part of Eritrea, then they can have an open path to the sea and they won't have to pay Djibouti any money to get their goods to market. So that's that's probably going to be popping up uh, pretty soon because the rest of the world is concentrating on Israel and concentrating on Ukraine. Folks, we gave you information on not one, but two hot wars, a future war, and a little bonus of an Ethiopian civil war rollback. Uh, mm -hmm. Ryan Macbeth, uh, please tell people where people can find more of your content. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Just type in the word Ryan Macbeth or go to ryanmacbeth.substack.com. That is where I can show footage that I cannot show on YouTube. Well, I'll tell you what. I know I will be signing up to both. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you'd like to thank Mr. Ryan Macbeth, you can do so at letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. That is px3guest.com. Send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets for clips of the live show or of the show. And we're doing, doing video. Maybe more video coming. And you can find my personal account, Justin R. Young, on Twitter. You can 
Stream us live on the internet, letter P, letter X, number three, live.com, px3live.com, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you would like to support us, and we are on the road, at least through January and February, it is paypal.me slash Venmo is justin-young-20. The money isn't real, and I will guarantee you every dollar I get on Venmo will be spent on bartenders in Iowa, New Hampshire, Las Vegas, and South Carolina. I'm going to guarantee you that. Justin-young-20. Help these hardworking American bartenders on the trail. Cash app is px3cash, and you can send me a check in the mail, along with anything else you want. P.O. Box 1531 84 Austin, Texas 78715 Post Office Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715 Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule and our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these five folks in the Titanic $10 tier Ye old Pinball Shop John, TP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and Bo Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Chucker, Sarah Janie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil is Nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Isha Sarslanian, Berkeley Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D Laser, Nick. Just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen D, really? Chopper, Andrew, Adam L, Gloria, my mom, Neemeister, J, and Devon. Devon likes his money. Anyway, I like Devon. Thank you, Devon, for supporting the show. We'll be back next week, uh, last week before Christmas. Uh, we're definitely going to have some congressional stuff because there's a lot going on and we're going to find out whether or not the house leaves today without doing a Ukraine deal, without doing a border deal. Oh, geez, Louise, they could be done for the year today. Oh, holy moly. Anyway, we'll talk about that next week. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this, my friends, is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.